Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. Being an upland hunter in the south nowadays unfortunately means a lot of travel to try and find birds for my dogs. This means it's even more important that my map scouting is reliable to justify the effort. This is where Onyx comes in. I can honestly say that Onyx directly impacts the level of success I find on my trips. Whether it's the private versus public land boundaries, the expanding number of unique layers and features by state, or the 3D mapping capabilities, my initial step in planning my hunting trip starts with Onyx. To know where you're going, you have to first know where you stand. Check out Onyx Hunt Maps and use code G. GDIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You know, we have dogs because we love them and we enjoy being with them. And what more could I enjoy than doing what she loves to do most? Do you have trouble physically making it through long hunts? Is your dog always giving you that angry look telling you to keep up? Train your dog, but now it's time to train yourself. Rocky Mountain Hunt Strong is the company for any hunter that is looking for an effective fitness routine to get healthier and be able to hunt longer and harder. This company has merged fitness and the passion of hunting to help people like you and me continue to do what we love. From the Rockies to the Smokies and every field or prairie in between, this company can get you ready to go longer, cover more ground, and recover quicker. Go to RockyMountainHuntStrong.com and see their program for yourself. Use the discount code GDIY to save 15% and get to work. Train harder, hunt stronger, and recover faster. Welcome back to another week of GDIY. Adam, how you doing? Man, I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah? Yep. Well, what do we have this week? Well, we talk with uh, Emily from uh, Short Hairs and Shotguns and man, I just really enjoyed the conversation. It was it a looked- fun one. Yeah, it was awesome, man. Just hearing her, her whole journey about how she's gotten involved with gun dogs and gone from horses to gun dogs and just jumped in with both feet. I mean, it's it's just really cool, man. Yeah, started out as an obedience trainer and now she's just hot and heavy with the gun dogs. It's a pretty interesting journey that you get to hear from her today. It's a fun story, you know. She didn't grow up hunting, didn't have bird dogs or anything like that, and yep. so. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting story just from somebody just kind of falling into the world and, and falling in love with it, and yep. now that's her entire life. We can all relate to it. You know, some of the things she talks about just being overwhelmed with information and what to believe and what not to believe, you know, when we're talking to her, I'm just nodding my head like the whole time, like, yep, I know exactly how that feels, and uh, I think a lot of people can relate to it, and it's just, it's really an enjoyable story. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking on uh, getting people, you know, involved in hunting and uh, sharing the passion that we have, are you ready for your life advice with Adam? Oh, man, you got another one for me already? <laughs> yeah, hey, this this is right up your alley. I really can't speak to this one because I'm just not there yet in life. But uh, oh boy, listener wanted to know, you know, he's got a, got a young kid, wants to know how to uh, get him more excited about bird dogs and bird hunting and getting him involved okay all right uh man life advice with adam (laughs) it's gonna be a regular uh segment here i'm the 35 year old that's got it all (laughs) figured out uh man so you know it probably uh it probably relates closely to a lot of the same advice we give people with gun dogs and ironically as you and i go through and kind of figure out like, well, that didn't work with our gun dogs. You know, I screwed that up. Let me, (laughs) let me try again. It's kind of the same with kids. And even when someone tells you like, don't do this with your dog, right? 
someone will tell you like, don't do this with your kids, but I'm the kind that has to learn it on my own. <laughs> learn the hard way. Uh, so hopefully some people can learn from me, but um, I think a lot of times kids naturally want to do what their parents want to do anyways. Um, I don't force it on my kids though. Not too often anyways. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to make them have their hobby to be gun dogs and hunting and things like that just because it's what I enjoy doing. Um, but because it is what I enjoy doing, they naturally want to go with me. And there's plenty of Saturdays when I'm like, I'm going to work the dog or it's nav to training day or whatever. Do you want to go? And they're like, what time are you leaving? <laughs> well, we're getting up at five. We got to you know pick up birds at this time, be there at this time, whatever. The kids are like, no, I'm good. Mm-hmm. So I've learned sometimes if I'm just going to make them go anyways, don't even ask. Just, hey, we're going tomorrow. You're coming with me. The only question is, what are you going to wear? You know, <laughs> like, um, so I think it's important to like force our kids outside sometimes because they'll just rot behind a screen if you let them. Video games, man, it's yeah. a killer. So and- there's a nice balance of uh, letting them develop into the the person that they want to be, similar yeah. to gun dogs, right? Kind of yeah. let them develop, but also like, hey, I'm forcing you outside. So <laughs> where I. Uh, well, and also just from an outsider, you know, obviously I don't have kids, but just seeing how often you have Connor out there with us, yeah. for example, he doesn't necessarily share the same interest or passion about the dogs, but the kid loves to shoot. He loves shooting. He so. loves shooting. He, he'll go to the range every single day. And so it's like you kind of found that aspect of what you enjoy doing. Right. And it helps get him involved, even though he's not about the dogs, he's about the shooting. And, you know, you have a training partner that'll shoot the birds for you. And that's the times where I make him go, where I know there's going to be a group of adults and he's going to be able to shoot birds under supervision of one of us. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, some older people are going to like brag on him, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's good. So at the end of the day, he's going to feel good about himself. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to make him do that because I can see the end of the day and he's 12. He can't, Mm -hmm. you know, he's almost 13. But, uh, the other day I was getting ready to go out and do duck search. Uh, I'm like, Hey, and Norm, we're going to do duck search tomorrow. You want to go? And he goes, no, nah, I'm good. Because <laughs> he knows we're not. There's no shooting. <laughs> There's just not going to be a bunch of shooting. So yep. I said, all right, that's fine. So, well, well, that's to me, that's what I've picked up on just with you and Connor is you found a way, you know, not a direct way sharing the same hobby, but it's an aspect of what, what you love to do. And so yeah. it gets him involved. And I tell you what, he can pillow the heck out of a bird. Yeah, you're always like, let him get away further. <laughs> I'm like, dude, if you can hit him, just shoot, just shoot him. it. Whatever. But, yes. you know, some of it, too, is uh, is like I- I've never been much into fishing. I mean, I enjoy fishing, but not as much as I do hunting and dogs. And he's big time into fishing. So every time he mentions fishing, I'm I'm pretty much on it. I'm like, yep, let's go. Yeah. Um, so there's that trade-off too, which is a pretty sweet trade-off, you know. I, oh, darn, you have to go fishing? I have to go fishing with my son, <laughs> right? It's uh, So, yeah, I think just encouraging them and uh, making them do it sometimes but not forcing them all the time. It's You don't want it to become a chore, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that concludes the Life with Adam segment for this week. I'm going to get with Joe and start working on your little segment intro music for Life with Adam. And, and uh, yeah, if you have any interesting questions or want, you know, Adam's advice on how to make your life better, then hit maybe, us up. Maybe we should call it Stump the Chump. <laughs> hey, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, life we'll fi- advice. How did you come up with this, man? I don't know. I have nothing better to do, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so on that note, shoot us any questions, advice, criticisms, critiques, whatever. Uh, Gundog at yourself at gmail.com. Check us out. Facebook, Instagram un- under Gundog at yourself. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Gundog at yourself. And I think that's all the plugs we have to do for ourselves and self-promotion and all that. So we'll go ahead and get to the to the fun part, fun conversation with Emily. Yeah, look, it's it's not hard. I mean, if you listen to our podcast and you haven't liked us and followed us yet on social media, do that for us and give us a dollar or so on uh, 
on Patreon. It helps us out. You know, there's there's more expenses than what you could imagine with doing a podcast. So help us out. Absolutely. And the more money you give, the better music we can get for the Adam segment coming up. So <laughs> there you go. Appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoy. If you're currently in the market for a kennel, then be sure to check out Gunner Kennels. Gunner Kennels is the only kennel that's five-star crash rated from the Center for Pet Safety. The double-wall rotomodal construction ensures it holds up in all types of weather and conditions. Also, Gunner Kennels has a lifetime warranty. These kennels are built to last a lifetime, and Gunner stands behind that. Gunner also has all the accessories you can need from fan kits to help keep them cool, performance and orthopedic pads to help keep them comfortable and ready to go after long travels, and even tie-down straps to help ensure there's no worries for the kennel moving or sliding around in your truck. So if you need man's best kennel for man's best friend, head on over to gundogityourself.com and click on the Gunner link. Be sure to purchase your kennel, accessories, and even gift cards for holidays and birthdays through our link and it will go a long way in helping out the podcast. All right, we're joined by Emily Shirey of Short Hairs and Shotguns. Emily, how are you doing today? Hey guys, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. And we're excited to talk to you because uh, you have a pretty interesting story. You want to just go ahead and start and tell everybody where you're from? Sure. So I currently live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, but I am actually from Columbus, Ohio. So I moved down here in 2015, so about five years ago, and um, love it. (laughs) Awesome. So You've been in the gun dog world for a few years now, but your story really started with dogs before that. You want to, you know, walk us through that? Sure. So, yeah. So growing up, I was um, very much the stereotypical weird horse girl Um, from the time I was about three until the past few years. I have owned horses and um, that's pretty been pretty much consuming, all consuming in my life. Um, so it's very much a horse person. And as I'm sure everyone knows, most horse people have dogs. So I had dogs growing up, but I was not, um, I was a, a very typical standard pet owner. I had dogs, but I didn't really think about much beyond that. Didn't do any sports with them. Um, and when I moved to North Carolina, I brought my pit bull with me. So she was my first dog as an adult. Um, now I have five dogs, four short hairs, and um, I still have my pit bull. But when I moved to North Carolina, I had worked in a chemistry lab and I had worked in a biology lab and realized I did not want to work in any type of lab. (laughs) Um, So I had applied randomly for a job as a dog trainer, um, not knowing a whole lot about dogs other than the fact that I had done some um, e-collar training with my pit bull. But based on the fact that I had extensive horse experience and that I had been through some e-collar training, they did hire me. And so I started out um, working as a pet obedience trainer. And that really, really opened my eyes to uh, um, the dog world. So things beyond just standard pet ownership as far as training goes and competing and being involved in more than just I have a pet at home. Um, So that's when, you know, pretty much everything in my life started to change was when I got that job and got actually more involved in dogs than horses and ended up um, rehoming my horses in order to um, kind of live my dog dreams. (laughs) Big leap there. Yeah, in in the right direction too. So Nick will get mad at me if I talk too much about horses because this is the Gun Dog Yourself podcast. Uh And the last time I started talking about horses, he's like, all right, enough of that. Quit horsing around. But man, you're on top Uh with, with these play on words lately. So I do need some tips on how to convince my wife and daughter to like not want horses and just get more gun dogs. Uh, oh, that's hard. I mean, yeah, I, I, know. I absolutely love horses. And man, I miss them so much. I, I can see some um, horseback field trialing in my future. Yep. Not right now because that's um, they're expensive, as I'm sure you know very well. They are super yeah. expensive, but dogs yes, are, are only slightly less expensive. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't have any horses yet, but uh, I'm going to keep it that way as long as I can. <laughs> and maybe my wife won't listen to this episode. So what really encouraged you to to make that leap? Because I do understand the the connection with horses for anyone. It's the same thing, the same passion we feel with our gun dogs. So what made you yep. take that leap from horses to gun dogs? 
So I had no interest in hunting prior to getting my first GSP, and that kind of happened. Um, so when I got when I was hired as a pet obedience trainer, at that time I just had my pit bull who is um, super lazy. She was at the time recovering from TPLO surgery, couldn't do much more than walk. I think like five minutes twice a day. And here I am being surrounded by all these awesome dogs and a lot of people who compete and are doing really cool things with their dogs. And um, I had always kind of had an interest in short hairs. I grew up with um, some family friends that bred them and hunted them casually, um, but always loved GSPs and knew that I did not have the lifestyle for one. Right. Um, so when I got this job as an obedience trainer and had the opportunity to really do more with the dog, I was, you know, considering a few breeds, I had a vague interest in protection sports, thought I might want a protection type dog. Um, but really when I, I saw my, um, my current best friend or who's now become a good best friend of mine, her name's Ann Quigley. She has a company called The Discerning Dog, and she has been such a huge mentor for me, um, such a big inspiration and really my biggest mentor. And um, when I so when I was looking for a dog, I saw her work with her GSP and her Malinois. Um, I remember they were doing some really technical retrieve work, and I was like, yep, that is what I want. So, <laughs> so I decided on a GSP based on um, their energy level and their drive. And I wanted that almost borderline protection-y type dog without, um, all the baggage that can come with it. Sure. And so I decided on GSP and I knew that I wanted a high drive dog. So I looked into, um, hunting breeders. I, I knew I wasn't really interested in a pet quality dog or even, you know, more show line dog. I wanted, I wanted like hang on tight, guns blazing type of GSP that I wanted to. It must have I been wanted. really hard to find a high drive short hair. <laughs> They're not common or anything. Well, well, you know, I did. I went to quite a few breeders, and I I have a lot of respect for those that I visited and said, "Hey, if I bred dogs like what you wanted, um, I'd get a lot returned." And so that's not what I breed for. So. Yeah. Um, um, I went through a couple breeders and I ended up finding um, Fred Rice with Sundance GSPs, who actually was local to me at the time, which was just awesome. And so I fell in love with the the look and the style of his dogs. And even though I didn't want to do hunting, I'm, I had emailed him like, you know, I need a demo dog for work. I'm a dog trainer. I live on a farm. I want to do all of these different dog sports. I'm not just going to say, I want your hunting line dog and then it will just live on my couch. Mm -hmm. Um, so Fred actually had a litter at the time that was three weeks old. And so I went to visit them and that was, um, my dog blitz, my first short hair. And obviously seeing a three weird gold puppy, no one says no to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. So, so I, um, decided on her and because Fred was so close, I was spending quite a lot of time visiting him, um, until she came home when she was old enough. And so I'd go over there and hang out and take some pictures and play with all the puppies. And it was awesome. And all the while Fred's talking to me about NAVDA, which I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I don't understand anything about hunting. I don't have any desire to, um, I grew up in suburbia from a non-hunting family. My grandparents, um, both my grandparents were kind of big game hunters, um, one, one more involved than the other, but I knew I didn't want to sit in a tree stand somewhere and wait. Uh, that sounded awful. So I just, <laughs> you know, kind of <laughs> wrote off hunting in general. That sounds boring. Um, so I, I was very adamant that I did not want to hunt this dog. And throughout the weeks of me visiting him until she came home, he kept going, well, you should really look into this. You should really look into this. And, Finally, one day he was like, look, I'd really like for you to test her in NA. Um, you know, it doesn't require much work. It's natural ability, just some exposure. But you don't seem like the kind of person to half-ass anything. I think you'd really like it. And uh, <laughs> I think back on that and it makes me laugh because here I am after that conversation um, definitely not half-assing it. Yeah. it <laughs> You're all in. You got four short hairs now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so 
Woods came home in September, and then in October, the Carolinas chapter held their fall test. So I was like, well, you know, I'll drive down and see what this is about. And so my goal was to go watch NA so that I could test Blitz in the spring. Um, but it's at the Sand Hills Game Lands, and if you've ever been there, it's a little bit confusing, and I got super lost and um, finally ended up at the UT section. And, you know, I'm getting out with my, you know, I was not prepared at all for what a hunting test would be. Everyone is all decked out and like all their Orvis maximum <laughs> orange, you know, it's test day. Everyone is wearing the best of everything. And I'm Trying just like, got my little, <laughs> right. I've yeah. got my little GSP with their pink collar and leash and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm wearing shorts and pull up. Like, what am I doing here? There's but, the new girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In typical NAVDA fashion, everyone was just so warm and welcoming. And, you know, I look back and think of oh, these, all these guys were, testing their dog in utility, which is a lot of pressure. And they were, went out of their way. They did blitzes. Like they gave her a bird that day and, um, you know, were more than helpful. Someone just showing up on a test day with a puppy. And, um, that kind of got me hooked between seeing those UT dogs and doing, um, all the impressive work that they do. You know, it was really appealing to me that as much as obedience is involved in NAVDA, I really, um, I really enjoyed that aspect and especially with the, um, you know, the great community that obviously was there and from very apparent from the start that really drawn, drew me in. And, um, so I started going to NAVDA trainings after that and, um, that's where I am now. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that's a lot of ground to cover that, uh, brought you, you know, from, just being a, an obedience trainer and a pit bull, then you wanted a, a German short hair to really just complement your lifestyle, not so much to hunt. And then next thing you yep. know, the dog got you interested in hunting through a training chapter, a NAVDA chapter, yep. and just meeting other people and, and Fred all, you know, nudging you along saying, you know, yeah, you're, you're going to want to hunt this dog. You're going to want to hunt this dog. So absolutely. So you show up at the test. Is it kind of thinking back about it now? Is it kind of serendipitous that you're, Hey, I'm, I'm now watching utility dogs and what they're really made of. And that really kind of lit the fire in you to get into the hunting dog aspect of this world. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, so seeing seeing those dogs work, you know, I think anyone will tell you that when you see a dog do what it's bred to do, you can't help but just be, you know, in awe. It's really, really impressive, um, especially with these dogs with how much is genetic. So I went to my first training day after that and Blitz pointed her first pigeon and, um, you know, she's a, she's a very highly driven dog. She's everything that I was looking for. Um, and, you know, I, it, I quickly realized that if I did not continue with hunting, it would be depriving her of something. And, you know, we have dogs because we love them and we enjoy being with them. And what more could I enjoy than doing what she loves to do most? So she is definitely, um, the reason why I do all of this, whether it's hunting or training or testing, um, if she didn't love it, I certainly wouldn't. Yeah. It's, uh, I think you can get a GSP and, you know, have it as a running partner or take it with you while you go mountain biking or whatever. They, they definitely, diving, yeah. Um, they definitely need the exercise and they can live a happy life without hunting. But just what you said, when you see that, that dog, point a bird for the first time it's like oh you're doing all this stuff for me you're so loyal to me surely i can take you and do what you're bred to do every once in a while yeah or absolutely (laughs) (laughs) certainly so so before we really jump into you know going full-fledged into the hunting dog training and getting just covered up with navda and, and the training and jumping off with two feet first what, how did the dog do? How did Blitz do in the NA test? Oh, she did super. So her first, I, I ran her actually twice. Um, and her first NA test, she actually came into heat two days before. And that was, um, 
a little, her first heat. So that was a little bit, um, stressful for, I think me more than her. (laughs) So we had to go last and it kind of changed a little bit of our plans. And, um, she did great. She got a, I believe, I can't, I want a 104 prize too. She got a two in tracking. Um, really not something that I would falter for. Um, she just couldn't pick up on the track very well in the, the scenting conditions were not great. Um, but got fours and everything else. And then, so I, I ended up testing her again for one Oh five prize one. So, nice. um, yeah, safe to say I was pretty hooked. Yeah. That. <laughs> what was your, if you can remember, what was the difference in her uh, scores? I mean, I know it was a 105 instead of 104, but where did she score um, differently? The oh, next goodness. Day? So she got a three in swimming, um, which was a hundred percent my fault. I threw the yeah. bumper. Here's my, here's my great sports skills coming into play. I threw the <laughs> bumper right along the bank and she ran up the bank and then like totally got distracted and ran off and didn't oh, get, nice. get in the water yeah. after yeah. the bumper. <laughs> so then, so then I, uh, I, you know, I threw it again and she had no problem going in and swimming after that. So she got a three in water and then she got a three in tracking, um, her second okay. NA test as well. Okay. okay. So you, you, you knocked out the test. Tell us what it was like to where you weren't really planning on jumping into this world, but you just found yourself doing it for the dog. Walk us through the process. Did you just start finding any information anywhere you could? Did you find a mentor? You know, how did you go about just downloading the information and where to start? That's a great question. So, of course, I started with my local NAVDA chapter, which was um, super, but um, as Fred kind of hinted at, I'm not the kind of person to be satisfied with training once a month. <laughs> um, so, I was I was really looking for more than that and um, struggled to find good resources in the area, um, especially because, you know, being a dog trainer, I can't just like get up and travel and stuff because I have dogs at my house. Um, so even though my schedule allowed for some flexibility, it's not like I can just go spend a weekend somewhere because I always have client dogs with me. Um, so of course I started watching some YouTube videos and reading some books. Um, and then there were a couple club members that kind of reached out and helped me on the side. So I joined the, um, essentially the location where the NAVDA chapter is held where they have like homing pigeons and stuff and would go out there on my own and, um, try, try my best to make something happen. Um, but it, it definitely plateaued and this, you know, beyond training for an A, I realized I'm really going to need some serious help if I want to go beyond this. And I do. And whether that's UT or just hunting or doing something else, I'd like to continue to do this, but I don't want to be stuck in this position where I don't feel like I have um, the kind of help that I want. And um, so, you know, I had done some research and, you know, being my my mentor with Anne being very protection sports oriented, she has um, really influenced the way I think about things. So, you know, one of my f- absolute favorite things about Anne and the, one of the reasons I admire her so much is she is constantly asking herself, is there a better way that I can do this? Is there a way that is easier for my dog? Is there a way that my dog will understand this? She is always thinking outside of the box and, um, is kind of the last person to go, well, this is just how it's been done. Mm -hmm. So this is the way I'm going to do it. And so that's how she essentially raised Blitz and I in that environment. And so, you know, going to NAVDA trainings and working with bird dog people, you hear a lot of um, very traditional hard and fast rules, which I know you guys are all familiar with, Um, you know, don't let your dog catch a bird. That's Don't ever teach your dog to sit. That was the one I was thinking them, of. <laughs> there you go. Don't let them have squeaky toys. You know, these very, you know, in my opinion, silly, hard and fast rules. And, um, you know, it was uncomfortable for me to go from working with someone like Ann, who is extremely adaptable and flexible and um, very much open-minded to people who are like, oh my gosh, you ruined your puppy by teaching her sit already. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a dog trainer, I, you know, I, I d- didn't have the bird work experience to say, well, maybe I did ruin her or maybe I didn't, but you can't tell me that 
this is like, this is absurd. You can't teach a bird dog to sit. Like <laughs> that just blew my mind. Yep. Um, and so, you know, finding resources for people who were more, um, open-minded and flexible was hard. And so I did some traveling around and moved across the country for a few months. Um, <laughs> I, I, sucked it up and tried traveling on weekends, even with client dogs and, you know, worked with a lot of really great trainers. Um, but none that I felt like were the perfect fit for Blitz and I, and what I kind of learned through that process, which I'm glad that I'm glad that I had the opportunity to work with so many great trainers. Cause it really showed me that even though there are so many great trainers out there, there is going to be one that is better for you. And that doesn't mean that they're necessarily a better trainer, but you have to find someone that you work well with and that your dog works well with, or, you know, they work well with your dog. Absolutely. It's kind of even more important because it's, you need a trainer that can explain it to the handler and the owner in a way that they understand because, you know, dog training, it's just as much about training the the owner as oh, it is training so. the dog. Yeah. So if you have the trainer and, and owner not really jiving on the personality front, that that really does a lot of harm to the continued growth of the dog. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. You know, it's it's all about training me so that I can train my next dog. And, you know, having boots along for the ride is great, but th- th- she's not like the end goal. Um, so, Essentially, you know, finding someone who could work well with both of us was a challenge. Not that I worked with, you know, people that I that weren't great to work with. It was just, you know, finding the right person for both of us. And it was a little bit hard with Blitz because I had not subscribed to these hard and fast rules. And um, I have you know, taught her to sit. I've done a lot of obedience with her, which people tell you not to do before you do too much bird work. Um at the time, she had probably caught more birds than I don't even know that I'm even embarrassed to admit. Um, <laughs> she's caught an insane amount of birds. Um, and so, you know, I've had people tell me that, you know, she's like got too high prey drive, that I was really worried that in this next step of progressing from NA type work to UT type work, that it was going to be ugly. And, um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of tradition in breaking a dog. And um, for a dog that is as tough and as driven as her, I was really scared and worried about how that was going to happen. And I was even telling myself, you know, if if this doesn't happen and she's just a heathen wild bird dog, I will be fine with that. Like I don't have, she doesn't have to be steady. Um, so, I'm so not going to. I have a question on that or. Do you feel looking back on it, were you more scared or worried that the dog was, wasn't going to reach its full potential because of your lack of knowledge at the time or because you had so many people and more experienced the old school trainers telling you everything you're doing was wrong? Um, you know, I think I've, I've been through phases of both. There were definitely times in my life where I've seen dogs and I've been like, wow, I have ruined my dog by letting her be a wild heathen. And, um, there are times where other people have made me feel like I have ruined my dog, even when I feel like I didn't. Um, so I think, I think it's a little bit of both there. And of course, you know, being a first time, first time bird dog owner and not knowing a whole lot, it's easy to fall into that. Well, you, you have a lot more experience than me. So you're probably right. I did ruin my dog. Um, and you know, kind of, I knew that no matter what she, there's nothing on this planet she loves more than birds. So I know I didn't ruin her in that regard. (laughs) Um, but as far as, you know, testing or taking her to the next level, I was really concerned that I that that would never happen because of how I did let her, um, kind of not subscribe to those hard and fast rules and be a heathen. But, um, I would say that Blitz and I were maybe more of the extreme than your average. Um, you know, she's kind of at the front end of the bell curve for drive in general. She's a, she's a powerful dog. And, um, I am very much, you know, coming from, what I know in protection sports, I'm very much an advocate for building that. And it's not like, I don't think that it's fair to allow dogs to just not ever, um, 
reach their full potential in drive, especially if you're going to be competing with them or, you know, even hunting. I think it's, I think it's the right thing to do to maximize that drive before you ever step in and cap it. And I have, I've been a huge advocate for that and have really encouraged and allowed her to be the wildest, craziest bird machine (laughs) that she can be. And, um, you know, back to kind of where we were that, that definitely intimidated other people. Right. Um, and, and, and the it, reason you know, why I asked that is that, you know, you, I spoke to a, a new guy calling earlier today, actually about the chapter and, and he's a first time handler and he has a four month old pup and he called and he actually asked, was it worth even trying to continue training his dog because he taught his dog to sit and somebody told him never let your dog oh. sit. And I, oh. and I've just told him, I'm like, man, come out. Like we'll, yeah. we'll get you around. Oh, that, some. That hurts my heart. And you know, he, he wasn't like sad. He was, he was as concerned. And so you should find I, your, should I get a new dog and yeah. start over? And, <laughs> and you know, it's, we've covered it a lot on this podcast is there's so many people out there and everybody's passionate about this and that's why they talk in so such absolute absolute sometimes and what's worked for one person they think that that applies to everyone else's dogs and but like you were just alluding to you know it's a a lot of this stuff don't teach your dog to sit you know if your dog catches a bird it's ruined for life there's a lot of (laughs) there's a lot of stuff out there that just flat out isn't true and so it kind of deters some people when you speak like that nobody ever means to do it but you know by just saying that it can have a have a bad reaction with a new person. Oh, and, yeah. and you run into a couple different types of people. Like something I love about NAVDA is, you know, you describe yourself showing up to the test day. You just kind of feel out of place. And the great thing about NAVDA is someone is going to come up. Like, I don't care what chapter you're at. Someone's going to come meet Try you and, help. and make you feel comfortable and make you feel like part of the family that NAVDA is. Absolutely. And th- this is not a bad thing. But the different types of people you meet, on one hand, you have the old school guy that's been (laughs) doing it a certain way for so long that it's like, this is the way to do it. And Mm -hmm. do not ever teach your dog to sit or do not ever let them catch a bird. And then you have another group of people that are like the sophomores, you know, (laughs) they're not freshmen anymore, but they're just finished cutting their teeth like i kind of fall into that category that, right yeah, <laughs> where they, i'm like oh here's a new person <laughs> i know more than them let me help them out so yeah. and then you flood them with information you're like oh man i just got fire hosed and this old guy told me to never teach my dog to sit yeah this was great but i'm overwhelmed yeah <laughs> yeah then yeah. you also have the, the very beginners that you know they show up and they're just afraid to say they don't know something and yeah. they just get to talking and they just you know, it's it. You have a wider range of personalities, and that's true with everything in life. And it sounds like you ran across all of them in your experience, and yeah. you were just trying to find the right mentor and person to kind right. of guide you down this path. Right. And I think you guys really hit the nail on the head. You know, you show up, and I'm there to learn, and I'm willing to say, "Hey, I don't know anything," but I'm also not comfortable accepting that these hard and fast rules. Um, And I think that can be extremely intimidating and very much turn people off. You know, if you have a puppy that you're mediocre interested in hunting and you tell them you can't teach him sit, well, if they're going to be a house dog, that's, you know, people utilize that for things. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, not finding, being flexible and, you know, really understanding who you're working with and what their goals are and what their dogs like. Yeah. There are some dogs that probably would benefit from doing way less sit than others, but it's impossible to kind of, um, gauge that. And, you know, that's something that I think is, you know, a little bit hard with NAVDA when you're working with those big groups and it's not individualized, you can't tell someone, Hey, you, you can do this, but you probably shouldn't. Um, it comes off as, you know, very generalized information from a variety of sources. And that's, that's hard to follow. And that's something I struggled with, which is why I was looking for someone, you know, specifically that I could work with and go, Hey, I I like the way you train. And I like the way you work with my dog. And I, I'm going to try your method first and then 
branch out and try other things. But, you know, you really need, you really need when you're learning with a new dog, you really need to find someone and stick with them um, so that you're not getting all these um, mixed signals and conflicting messages. And, um, and that, that's very, a very challenging part of NAVDA. Yeah, absolutely. So who was that person for you? Who was your knight in shining armor that just made you feel, feel comfortable <laughs> and, you know, just excited and, and confident in what you're doing and where you're headed? So that was um, Grayson Meyer with Lost Highway Kennels, which I know you guys know Grayson. Um, so upon my travels and trying to find someone, um, a good friend f- finally was like, hey, you need to go talk to Grayson already. You guys are going to totally work well together. And um, so I, you know, he was only an hour and a half away and I can't believe I didn't come out here sooner, but it's okay. I've, I've learned yeah. lots in my travels, but, um, you know, I show up the first day and I have this dog who, like I said, was just, I mean, super, super powerful dog that has, that has very little training because I was intimidated in taking the next steps with her because of how powerful she was. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we go out there and he puts out birds and launchers and I'm asking a million questions. What do I do this? Do I do that? Do you want me to woe her? Should I recall her? Should, what should I do? And he, <laughs> he said, and, do nothing. Just watch. And <laughs> very much grace and fashion. I will never forget this. He said, Hey, she can do no wrong. Just let her do what she does. And there I'm like, go. You know, I probably picked my jaw up off the floor. Like, aren't you going to tell me like she shouldn't be doing something or like we're doing something wrong? Yeah. That's what I was so used to hearing. But um, yeah, it was great. She, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure she killed both of the pigeons he put out for her that day. And she she invited me back. So, So, absolutely. You've been hearing hearing nothing about, you know, all you kept hearing for this whole start of the journey was don't do this. Don't yeah, do this. You did that don't. wrong. You did that wrong. And then all of a sudden you get with Grayson who just says, we can work with this. Yep, absolutely. And that's, that's you awesome. know, that's why I'm, I'm still working with him to this day because I just admire that attitude so much. And yep. I see how much it benefits the dogs and, you know, he's just, he's an extremely adaptable trainer. And, you know, I, I remember that a couple of weeks after we started steadiness work with Blitz, I asked him if it was a horrible idea for me to take her to do fast cat, which is where they have a plastic bag on a lure and the dog chases it and you clock how fast they run. And here nice. I am like embarrassed to even ask him this, like, this is such a dumb idea. Like I'm trying to teach my dog not to chase things. And here I am asking the trainer who's helping me if I can take her to chase something. And he goes, Oh, hundred percent. Why have a dog if you're not going to do things with it? Nice. And that's when I, that's when I was like, all right, yep. This is where we need to be. This is the that's, right guy. You know, yep. That's, that's exactly what it is. I have her first and foremost as a pet and, um, just to do fun things and whether that's fun things for hunting or other things and, you know, not taking it so seriously and don't ever do that. Or, you know, one of the favorite, my favorite things about Grayson is he always talks about, well, I can fix that. And it's Hmm. absolutely not an ego thing. It is very much a things are going to happen. And no matter how much you think, you know, things will always pop up and you can work with it. Like pretty much, you know, anything with bird dogs is fixable. You can always problem solve and work through things. So, you know, I think really in general, people are kind of nervous to make mistakes. And I absolutely was prior to working with Grace and I was very nervous to make mistakes, but I think really the only thing you end up sacrifice, you end up sacrificing more by not making mistakes than taking those risks. And if you can take those risks and, you know, have fun with your dog and try new things, you're going to get a lot more out of it than if you're too worried to make mistakes in the first place. Yeah. And, and, that's where I learned the best is, is making those mistakes, um, and taking a mental note of it. And then the next time around you do it a little bit differently. So I'm on the edge of my seat right now. I want to hear how blitz has done, uh, with <laughs> steadiness and utility test. Have you tested her yet? Please I have not. Let, tell so me. She, <laughs> she is, um, signed up for this fall Great. for UT. Um, so, I started working with Grayson a year ago, and at that point, she was like the hardest chasing, crazy bird catching dog. 
Um, and you know, again, I was very ready and I told Grayson this before I even came out to work with him. I had talked to him, um, through messages and I said, look, I don't want to put any unjustified pressure on her. And if we just, if I think that this isn't fair, we're just, I just don't want to study her. Um, she can just be a wild bird dog. And so I was very ready to just accept that. And, you know, he, we worked together pretty much on a weekly basis all last summer, um, doing a lot of upland work, which I had never even heard about. Um, so we first taught her to back and then we taught her stop to flush. And then we started showing her all these different pictures and some combinations. And, you know, it's always with dog training, it's never linear. It's always two steps forward, one step back, or maybe two steps back, one step forward. Um, and, you know, for a long time, I thought, oh, she's never going to get this. Like, you know, this first couple of months, I was like, yikes, like, th- th- we are going nowhere. And he kept going, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And, um, you know, just like it always does, one day it just clicked and she just, everything made sense. And it's, you know, it's really crazy because she, <laughs> she's never that would never be that type of dog that, you know, naturally kind of wants to be steady. Um And so I really thought that it wasn't going to happen without a lot of compulsion and a lot of maybe ugly sessions. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it, it was like smooth as butter. Like, you know, the whole process took a while it took, you know, we're still working on steadiness, but that's, you know, the benefit of having my own dog and not her being a client dog is I can take as long as I want and do it in a way that, you know, I feel is right and good. So now I'm living near the farm where we train and I'm have the ability to work her over there. And now I have, um, a puppy. And so this, the end of preserve season, man, it was so, it was like the coolest experience of my life to have her point liberated quail and have my puppy go in there and bust them up and blitz not even move uh, (laughs) on these birds. She can, you know, almost catch. And it's like, you know, I've got goosebumps now. That is the Mm -hmm. coolest thing that this has been such a, such a rewarding experience to see a dog understands something so completely that regardless of if I'm standing there or not, she understands what her job is and she feels good about it. And we're both confident. And, um, you know, it was never, never anything ugly or, you know, I don't, don't feel like I ever took anything away from her. There was never a hint of unstylishness about her. <laughs> like she's a stylish dog. And, you know, a lot of times she's steady dogs and they just, they lose a lot of that. And Man, well, if she hasn't gotten more stylish, I, was I would be say surprised. A lot of people say, don't let your dog catch a bird. But I want my dog to catch its first bird, honestly, to build up that drive and intensity. And then I'm not suggesting that you go out and let your pointer catch a bunch of birds. But uh-huh. I, I bet all the all the birds that Blitz has caught, and now that you're like kind of shaving that down into steadiness... You're not taking any intensity away. Like, like she's created so that, much drive and intensity that you'll never take it out of her. So you if my theory is correct. correct, then let your pointing dog catch a bunch of birds to build up their intensity and drive before you start steadying them up. I'm not I'm not gonna say let them, I, but don't get discouraged if they keep catching yeah. birds. It's not the end of the world. Sure. And like you said, it does help yeah. develop drive and desire and intensity yep. because they want that bird so much. And, you know, it, it's just, that's, I've heard it a lot today, just taking bird orders for our training day coming mm-hmm. up. What if they catch a bird? I'm like, your dog is three months old. We're just doing bird intro. It is not <laughs> a big deal. And that's what I mean. Like plant the bird for them. It's a pen raised bird they're going to catch some birds Mm -hmm. unless you put every single bird in a launcher. And even then you're going to get one that just flops and they're going to catch it or your launcher might not work. So don't go to extreme measures too soon of like, you know, what do I need to do different to keep my dog from catching a bird? And that, that can honestly plan another one. (laughs) It it can honestly do more harm than good by trying to restrain a young puppy when it's first excited about a a bird and whether it's a check cord, e-collar scolding it, whatever, all you're doing is discouraging the drive for that bird. And that's how you get some of the dogs that, you know, it, 
maybe they're not excited. They're not very intense on point because you've been restraining them since they're at a very young age. Hey, don't catch that bird. And, you know, people that you hear it all the time. We've said it a million times on this podcast already. Never let your dog catch a bird. It's not the end (laughs) of the world, people. Yeah. Yes. It's going to happen. (laughs) So Grayson and I um, start all of the young dogs by letting them catch birds, um, pulling fight feathers, especially with the super young puppies. And, um, you know, at the point where we feel like we're, we're seeing the kind of confidence and boldness that we like. Um, and at that point we'll start moving to pigeons and launchers and, you know, limiting the birds they catch so that they do start establishing point and don't become a flushing dog. I get, that's a very valid concern, but you know, they will absolutely catch birds. And at no point is that ever going to ruin a dog. I mean, just like, uh, two weeks ago, maybe blitz (laughs) blitz, uh, had herself a little pigeon tail feather, um, experience where we, (laughs) we accidentally threw a bird kind of right at her face. And, um, (laughs) she, she is one to not let an opportunity pass by. (laughs) She, jumped up and grabbed some tail feathers, didn't actually catch it, you know, knew she was wrong. She got a correction, but you know, no harm done. We all laughed about it, made for a really great photo that I might have to frame, Um, (laughs) you know, and she, she recovered super well. There was no like, Oh, you're bad or anything like that. No, you you know, you didn't stand, but it's not the end of the world. And her very, her very next bird after that was a chucker that flew right over her head and she never moved. So it's, (laughs) you know, it's it, one experience like that is absolutely not the end of the world, no matter where you are in your training. And again, you know, just because you have one step backwards does not mean your next experience won't be two steps forward. So you have to, that's what Realize Ken, that. Ken uh, Adams breeder s- says he, you know, he starts off young puppies, their first bird intro. He, he calls it dominating the bird. He lets them dominate <laughs> the quail and build that confidence uh-huh. up. And it's yeah. just like, I, I own you bird. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I and, love it. Yeah, 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 the theory exactly. is that they're never going to be scared of a bird because their first interaction was to kill it. I mean, that's what he really means by dominate is I'm going to throw a, <laughs> you know, a quail in here, uh, with, with these puppies that, that has the, the flight feathers clipped and, and they're going to kill this quail or at least have a lot of fun with it. And then, yeah. you know, it kind of plants the seed that I never need to be scared of this type of animal. Oh, for sure. And it builds a lot of drive and intensity. Are you guys picturing Absolutely. how many old timers, if they're listening to us right now, are pulling their <laughs> hair out? <laughs> they Uh-oh. hate us right now. I yeah. guarantee it. Uh-oh. Yep. <laughs> Well, I yeah. it's funny because I actually talked to an old timer one time and, and we were talking about some of these things and I was brand new into this. I mean, I just, my first dog is probably a year old and, and I said something about not ever letting him catch a bird. And he said, well, I know a thing or two about letting him catch a bird. And I, I didn't, I didn't have the humility to even ask him what he was talking about. <laughs> I right then just kind of wrote him off. I was like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Doesn't has and no sh- idea what he's talking about. I should have asked a few more questions. <laughs> oh, you're that young guy I was, I was talking about earlier. That's right. That's right. Uh, so, so I'd like to think I'm still pretty young, Nick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh so when you when you're talking about you're working with Grayson, now you're not just working with Grayson as a trainer and helping you out train Blitz, you're actually working under Grayson now, correct? Correct. So we we have a really um, great business relationship. So um, we keep our businesses separate. So he has his um, he has his clients and I have mine, but we do all of our training together. So five or six days a week, we work together in the field all day. Um, which is a super great opportunity for me because I get to see way more dogs being worked and, you know, how he handles certain things. And really it's super beneficial for me. And then it's also a really beneficial relationship for him as well. Cause I, you know, backfilling, if you've ever tried, <laughs> if you've ever tried working bird dogs on your own, I don't mm-hmm. know how he did it on his own for so long. I'm very impressed that he did, but you know, things go a lot smoother when there's two of us working together and, right. you know, bouncing ideas off of each other. And, um, you know, I, I certainly help with the social media and organization <laughs> and things too. So, 
so we we train together every day, not just our own dogs, but client dogs as well. So that's that's awesome that you started out in a, a biology lab and chemistry lab, and then you just randomly applied for an obedience dog trainer, and then you went from you know protection dogs, and then you wanted a short hair for a lifestyle, and then that got you into hunting dogs, and now you're kind of branching out into training hunting dogs along with Grayson's guidance and, and just you're I mean obviously you're you're still learning just as much as you're trying to teach other people when did it really turn into a passion to where you thought okay maybe instead of just obedience training people's dogs let's start getting into the gun dog training business um I guess that really happened last year um I really wanted to, when I, after I started working with Grayson and I realized, you know, that kind of, I guess, lit the fire that training bird dogs does not have to be super old school and it can be very, um, very rewarding and doing new things. And, you know, I, I really admire the way he trains dogs. And I thought, well, you know, this is way cooler than just training your average doodle pet obedience. Um, and so, you know, he had kind of expressed that he was looking for someone to help around the farm because he was getting busier. And I thought, well, you know, I would love to do something like that. So we, we ended up coming up with a really good plan that benefits us both. And I'm, um, I'm super happy with what I've got going and I would hope he could say the same, but it's been a, it's been a really unique experience and <laughs> I definitely won't be going to back to stand, you know, all pet obedience anytime soon. I do still take <laughs> pet obedience, but the great thing is now when I take pet obedience, it's almost always still bird dogs. And so, um, nice. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. I get the best of both worlds then. So we talked about blitz, but you mentioned earlier that you have four short hairs. So don't, <laughs> don't spend as much time on the other three as we have on blitz, but I want to hear like how, where's all this space, this time and space <laughs> that these other three short hairs showed up? Well, well, three of our dogs were on purpose and two were accidents. Um, so f f when I got blitz, it was just blitz and pinky, my pit bull. Okay. And then I, um, thought, well, this short hair is super cool. And so like a year after I got blitz, I decided I wanted another, but didn't want a puppy. So mm -hmm. we, um, started fostering an 11 year old short hair oh, nice. who I saw was, um, dumped at a shelter because apparently he was too old to hunt. And I was just like, Oh, okay, this is heartbreaking. So he can come live with us. Um, and he ended up being heartworm positive and wasn't neutered. So by the time he had gone through all his treatments, he had been here for six months. And at that point, my husband um, wasn't attached. willing to let him go. Yep. So he became my husband's dog. So that's Harley, who is now will be 13 in a couple months. Um, I really didn't anticipate him. I thought we were doing more like um, end of life care, but here he is going strong at 13. Um, yeah, we'll take him. He'll just be around for another six months or so. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Joke's on me. But um, Well, hey, a little plug then, for our spotlight this month uh, with camo. That's kind of what they specialize in is, you know, taking those retired dogs and getting them into a, a good home. So made me awesome. think of that. So tell us about your other two. It, yeah, no, Harley has as much as I joke about him being the goofiest dog in the world. He, he is a very sweet boy and we absolutely love having him here. It's been very rewarding. Yeah. Um, so then I have Maple. Maple is Blitz's niece and I got her eight weeks old as a sale project. Um, you know, just something fun to play with because I have time or I had time, um, and so I did, I put a really solid foundation on her for obedience. We did a whole bunch of different activities such as, um, I did, I even did some confirmation showing with her, introduced her to dock diving, nice. did some, um, a bunch of fun stuff trying to, you know, I put, she got, um, ran her an NA, she did super well. She got a, um, 112 prize one. And so at that point I was trying to find her like a really great hunting pet active home. And um, I ended up selling her to a great family in um, Chicago. And upon bringing her home as their first dog, they realized two of their kids have allergies and she came oh, back. No. <laughs> 
I was so, wondering what you uh, meant by accident. I'm like, how do you accidentally get a yeah. dog? Surprise. So There's I one was, way. <laughs> yeah. So I was fully prepared to sell her again. And my husband just wasn't willing to part with her. So he actually bought her from me. And so Maple is his dog. <laughs> um, and she, oh, that's she's, great. She, She's an outstanding bird dog, so it's not too bad having her around. Um, and then finally, we have Echo. Echo is my new puppy who is also a Sundance dog and um, related to Blitz as well. And she just turned seven months old and um, will be running an NA in the fall and is um, pretty a little bit of a spicy girl, which is just how I like them. So I'm hoping that she will – no one will ever, you know – reach my pedestal that Blitz is on, but I'm hoping that she might be a close second. (laughs) So I want to hear, how's the hunting going? So um, last year we had an absolute blast. Blitz and I did plenty of woodcock hunting around here, and we both absolutely love that. Um, This was our second year hunting woodcock in North Carolina, and we had an absolute blast, had a really great time. Um, shot my first woodcock, my one and only of the season. I'm a horrible shot, but we, we have fun regardless. <laughs> um, and I actually spent some time going out to Kansas and, um, Blitz got to see her first wild pheasants and, um, got to retrieve her first wild pheasant. And that was an absolute blast. I did not shoot it. My, my friend Kai did, <laughs> but, um, um, it was, we had a really, really great time and I'm looking forward to, um, more opportunities this year because we both really enjoy that. What plans do you have for this season? You know, I'm not sure. There'll obviously be plenty of woodcock hunting around here. Um, I think I'm so focused on like getting through this UT test with her that we'll figure out some fun trip later. Um, but I'd, I'd like to do another trip again. That was, I had a really great time, um, doing that last year and would like to do something similar, but maybe a little bit different this year. So I'm not sure we'll have to see how things go. So have y'all ventured out to West North Carolina and chase the, uh, ever elusive rough grouse? No, that is on my list. Um, I keep telling myself that maybe I should learn how to shoot my gun first, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much that's going to help me with grouse anyway. So I, I think it would be a great experience thing, for her. good thing about grouse is you don't really have an opportunity to put a beat on them and aim. You just, in, instinct is just there and you shoot and yep. it, it's just natural instinct. Well, not to be a negative Nancy, but in Western North Carolina, you're not going to have many opportunities anyways, but <laughs> right. it's worth right. it. I mean, just, yeah. just being out there in those mountains and, it's awesome. It's worth taking a trip out there. How about, uh, absolutely. How about out on the coast there, uh, North Carolina getting into some quail? So I haven't seen any wild quail in North Carolina, but it sounds like based on what everyone is saying on like the Facebook groups that everyone's been hearing a lot more recently in this past season. I know Grayson saw his first couple wild coveys, um, for the first time in a while. So they're definitely around here. Um, even, you know, even over where we are in Winston-Salem, they're definitely around. So that'll be um, something I look forward to as well. It hasn't been a huge focus of mine because I, I enjoy woodcock hunting so much. But yeah. obviously getting on a, a wild covey of quail in North Carolina would be awesome and is definitely um, something that is on my bucket list. For sure. We're going to have to figure out a weekend where we link up with you and Grayson and we just make a weekend grouse trip up in the mountains somewhere and... Oh, please do. That would be so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's kind of a glutton for punishment type of trip. You're as it's a <laughs> lot of up down rhododendron and uh, you're going to come out, you know, during the hunt. You're going to be like, what the heck am I into? And then <laughs> right afterwards, you're going to be like, all right, I can't wait to go back. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Emily, this has been great. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add or, you know, thinking back on this, do you have any just, you know, golden nugget of advice to offer somebody getting out, you know, maybe another woman that, you know, it maybe not a hunter right now, but they have a dog and they want to make their dog happy, you know, just from, you have a very unique perspective. So do you have just any kind of golden truth for somebody? Um, 
know, I guess I just want to say after everything we've talked about is that, you know, there are a million ways to train a dog and I don't think any of them are necessarily right or wrong. And whether or not you agree with how someone else trains their dog, you know, who, who's having, whoever's having fun and seeing success and enjoying it, that's what they should be doing. And, you know, really being open to, um, to other ways I think is important and just know that, you know, we're all constantly learning. And I think the only, the only thing you should be scared of, you know, as far as like taking risks and trying new things, the only thing to really be scared of, I, I would say is, coming to the point where you feel like you know it all. And I think that's when things um, can get really dangerous with dogs is when you, when you come to the point where you feel like you have nothing more to learn. Um, And, you know, dogs, dogs are, no dog is created equal. And so being flexible and always being open to learning something new is super important. And, you know, for people that are training their own dogs to not be intimidated by what other people say and, you know, be willing to take risks and explore new ways of doing things. Cause you never know, you might, you might be surprised. Absolutely. So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us your uh, website, social media, stuff like that. Oh, awesome. Okay. So, um, my website and Facebook and Instagram are all just short hairs and shotguns. Um, so that's spelled out, um, a N D short hairs and shotguns. So you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and then short hairs and shotguns.com. Awesome. I thought you were going to spell the entire thing, short oh, hairs gosh, and no. shotguns. I'm like, man, she's a good speller. I never <laughs> no, that. no, that's, that's not, gotcha. not a strong suit of mine. <laughs> Same here. Well, thanks so much, Emily. This has been a lot of fun. I had a blast. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Absolutely. We'll do it again. Appreciate it. You have a good night. You too. Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy this podcast and would like to contribute even more to future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high-grade, lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup just have to replace it again and year go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want if you're considering changing your dog's food soon then be sure to check out yukanuba pro performance their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance they also now have the new puppy formula to help your pup start strong and live active when looking at all the different food options remember yukanuba to help power their ultimate performance Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.